Hello, and welcome to the Equipping Godly Women podcast, where we help busy Christian moms find practical ways to grow in faith and family, no matter how busy they are. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Equipping Godly Women membership community, the place to get the mentorship, training, and encouragement you need to be the amazing Christian woman God is calling you to be. Learn more at equippinggodlywomen.com slash membership. Otherwise, let's go ahead and dive on into today's podcast. So unfortunately, today's topic is a very difficult one but it's a very important one as well. You see, according to childhelp.org, a new case of child abuse is reported in the United States every 10 seconds. And that doesn't even include all of the many cases that never go reported. That's why today we're talking with Jennifer Greenberg, author of the new book, Not Forsaken, A Story of Life After Abuse, How Faith Brought One Woman from Victim to Survivor. In this interview, Jennifer is talking about her story as she grew up the daughter of a sexual abuser, as well as how that shaped her faith and how she eventually went on to become a Christian singer and author and somebody who has experienced recovery from such a horrible tragedy. Whether you have experienced abuse yourself in the past, you know someone who has and you want to be a good friend for them, or even just if you live in a community of other people, you go to church, you have friends and family, your kids go to school with other people who may be going through these issues. This is such an important topic. So I really hope you will listen in today to hear all of the wisdom and advice that Jennifer has to share. Today we're talking with Jennifer Greenberg, author of the book, Not Forsaken, A Story of Life After Abuse, How Faith Brought One Woman from Victim to Survivor. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, will you start us off just by diving in and telling us a little bit about your backstory, who you are, um, what we should know about you before we start this conversation today? Absolutely. Well, I'm Jen Greenberg, and I am the survivor of 21 years of child abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse, and psychological abuse at the hands of my church-going father. And so I'm very grateful um, God saved me at a very young age. Um, even though my, my family was uh, very dysfunctional, uh, we were members of, of solid churches, uh, Bible-believing churches, and so on Sundays, I, I, you know, was I had the benefit of of listening to sermons by godly men um, preaching the gospel. Um, during the week, my mom faithfully read the Bible and, and prayed with us. Um, but there was also, of course, uh, a twisting of Scripture and a lot of spiritual abuse and um, just the very confusing messages that abuse uh, sends to anyone. Um, but I think particularly a child. So you said for 21 years, did this happen from the time that you were an infant? It's for as long as I can remember. My earliest memories of abuse date back to when I was about two years old. Okay, wow, that is terrible. When did you realize, I'm just curious, when did you realize that what was going on was not normal? Did you know the entire time or was it something that you had to look back later and realize? You know, it was a little bit of both. Um, when you're a child growing up with abuse, it's what you're used to. Um, and of course, everyone, you know, wants to imagine the best of their parents. You know, there are superheroes. Um, so, you know, I, I think I knew 
probably starting when I was probably about 10, maybe nine years old, that that my dad wasn't normal, um, that he had what I called anger issues. Um, and then slowly as I began to mature and I got to know other men in our church and observe the families of friends, um, I slowly began to understand on a more and more adult level um, what was happening in our family. But it wasn't really until I was about 15 that I realized that my dad was a sexual predator. Um, and at that point, I became um, suicidal because I just felt trapped. And I was heartbroken. And I, I felt uh, betrayed and abandoned. Um, but it really, I mean, the kind of, the, the realization, honestly, some of it's still happening, you know? Uh, when I when I got married to my husband Jason, um, I I began to become used to uh, what it's like to live with a godly man, a man who's patient and kind and is interested in my career and my hobbies. And so, um, you know, at that point, I I learned to a new degree um, how dysfunctional my past had been. But then again, when I had children, I was able to look at my own children. Um, with the eyes of a parent and realize to a new degree, again, the level of betrayal um, and really depravity that, that had occurred. Yeah, I can see that even in my own life, even as somebody who didn't suffer from abuse when I was little, but watching my husband, um, the way he interacts with me, the way he interacts with our with our kids, just seeing that example of a good godly man and what that's supposed to look like. I know so many times people say that our image of what we see God like is based in large part on how we see our fathers. How did growing up in this situation affect the way that you viewed God as you were growing up? Absolutely. It really made, um, growing up with child abuse really made um, understanding God as a father very difficult. You know, when you have a father, a biological human father, who is violent, who is angry, uh, uh, sexually perverse, predatory, emotionally abusive, unmerciful, impatient, um, unloving, um, it's, it's hard to understand what God means when he tells us he's our father. And of course, what he means is that he's protective, that he's loving, that he wants to, to, to teach us, to guard us, um, and to grow us uh, more and more into his image as we mature spiritually. And of course, that is such the opposite of what my earthly human father was. So let me ask you, how did... Because obviously, I know that you don't see God in the same way today that you did when you were a child. How did you kind of start to begin that transformation? What happened in your life that allowed you, I mean, you mentioned your husband already, but what else has happened in your life that kind of allowed you to get a better picture of who God is? Absolutely. Well, um, <clears throat> my uh, when I was probably about 11 years old, um, I started to realize that my dad, um, I, I don't think I would have said it in these words, but I started to have the first inkling that he was dangerous um, and that he was a sexual predator. And I started having recurring nightmares about being raped. And um, I realized that my dad didn't love me, at least not in a normal way. 
And I actually stayed up probably until two or three in the morning, um, just praying and weeping and um, asking God, you know, I told God, you told me, blessed are those who weep and, um, and, that, and that you are faithful. And, and I said, well, I'm weeping, I'm crying, and I really need you to step into my life and to be my father. We had, um, we had heard a sermon that Sunday about how God calls himself Abba. And our pastor had told us, you know, that means daddy. You're able to run to God like a little child and call him daddy. And so I asked God, you know, I told him, this man in my life who I call dad, um, he's not safe. He, um, he feels like a stranger to me. I'm afraid of him. And, you know, I, I told God, I'm, I'm going to need someone in my life to guide me. I'm, I'm about to turn into a teenager. You know, I, I, I'm growing up and I need guidance. Um, I need help and I need protection. And even though, you know, you're not physically here, I need you to step into my life and somehow fill his shoes. And when I prayed that, I just got an overwhelming sense that I was heard and that God loved me and, and that he was going to be there for me as my father. Did you have other positive male role models at the time, maybe like friends or other family members who had dads where you could see a better picture of this is what a dad should look like? And did any of them have any idea that anything was going on? You know, I don't think so. Um, I had, there were, you know, of course, our pastor, um, there were elders who maybe taught, you know, youth Sunday school, that sort of thing. But one of the things that um, was odd about my family, we were homeschooled. And so I was very isolated. And I think that was on purpose. Um, looking back, I really feel that, you know, while my mom wanted to provide us with, you know, tailored education and, and daily Bible reading and, and, you know, prayer throughout the day, that sort of thing, good things. Um, ultimately, what ended up happening was uh, we, were, we were separated uh, from others and we didn't get involved um, much in support groups or much with church during the week. And so I didn't really get to know my friends' dads too well, and and I honestly don't think that anyone had any idea what was going on. So I'm really curious to know, now that you said that it happened for 21 years, or you know, give or take, I would assume that you are not in an abusive situation anymore. I would really hope not. How did that kind of come to an end? Was it just that you grew up and moved out? Did you somehow find the courage to report it, or what happened? Kind of all the above over the course of, of several years. Um, when I, I got married at the age of 21, and I met Jason in, in college, and, um, you know, I just, I fell in love with him. And, and like I said, I, I slowly began to acclimate to getting used to living with a godly man. Um, I did try to patch things up with my dad, um, but there were just... There was too much uh, dysfunctional behavior, and the abuse was ongoing. And at one point, not physical abuse, of course, but just the psychological and emotional abuse, 
Um, there would be times when, when he would claim to uh, be sorry for what he'd done. And I'd be hopeful and excited thinking, well, maybe God is saving him and maybe our relationship is going to get better and he's going to change. But then maybe a week to a month later, he would, he would revert and he'd say, I don't remember apologizing. I don't remember ever doing any of those things. Um, you're imagining things. And so finally, after at least a year of that, I, I told my dad over the phone and I said, I can't do this anymore. You know, this is tearing me apart. Um, and I told him, you know, like I have two choices. I can either believe that you're crazy and you don't understand what you did and your memory is going in and out and, you know, and this is somehow not your fault or you're, an e you're evil and you know exactly what you're doing and you're doing this on purpose. And to my memory, he was quiet for a few seconds. And then he said, well, I'm not crazy. So you're just going to have to get used to the fact that I am evil. And I, I was done. I just, I was finished. And I told him, I, I can't do this anymore. It's affecting my marriage. You know, it's affecting, um, my emotional health. And, you know, later I, I told Jason uh, what had happened. And eventually he contacted my dad and told him not to speak with me again. You know, no more birthday cards, no more phone calls, no more emails, nothing. Um, you know, and he said, when Jennifer wants to talk to you again, if she wants to talk to you again, she can reach out, but you must not co communicate with her at all. So that was the end of that, and it really marked a huge um, growth spurt in my spiritual recovery, just not to have that toxic um, behavior in my life. That is honestly so brave of you that you were able to make that decision too. I know so many people who struggle, I mean, not personally, but I know that there are so many people who struggle with abuse where you have that element too, especially if it's family or if it's someone you've known a long time to figure out, you know, is it appropriate to cut ties with them or is it something where you keep forgiving and hoping for the best? Do you have any advice for somebody who may be in a situation right now that whether it's abusive or it's just a toxic situation that they need to get out of, how can somebody kind of begin to determine, is this something where you need to keep forgiving, keep praying, keep hoping, or how do you know when it is time to cut those ties and let yourself go? Absolutely. Well, you know, obviously we want our loved one, whether that be a parent, your mom, your dad, a sibling, um, a spouse, whether it be your husband, your wife, whoever it may be, you want them to repent of their sin. You want them to change. You want God to work in their heart. Um, and honestly, no matter how scared you are of that person, no matter how abused you feel, there's always part of you that still loves them and still hopes that they will change. And so for me, you know, every time I've had to cut off someone who is abusive, it, it feels like cutting off your right arm. It hurts so bad. Um, but, you know, I had to come to a place where I had to go back to, look, God is my ultimate father. 
God is the ultimate man. I'm or God. <laughs> I'm submissive to. He's the ultimate person who I answer to. And so if my relationship with this person is damaging my faith, if they're getting between me and my relationship with Jesus Christ, if they're impeding my ability to be a, a good wife to my husband, if they're damaging my emotional stability or my mental health, and I'm not able to be a stable, calm, loving mother to my children, that's a major red flag, and that's a problem, and it's unacceptable. And so those have been my three things. My relationship with God is the most important thing ever. And if anybody gets between that, God takes priority, and that's it. Um, my relationship with my husband, you know, I've had, I've had abusers um, uh, try to convince my husband that, that I'm crazy, that I imagined everything, that he needs to take me to a psychiatrist because I'm delusional, um, you know, and, and try to convince me that my dad or that my husband is like my dad. You know, these mind games. This, uh, my dad used to tell me that I was a piece of meat and that all men, including Jason, viewed me that way. And so when you have a, an abuser in your life who's damaging your marriage, who's intentionally causing stress in your life that's, that's hurting your relationship with your spouse, um, that's also unacceptable. And of course, you know, as a parent, I want to be the parent that I never had. You know, I want to be the loving protector. And I can't do that if I'm depressed and anxious and suffering from insomnia because I'm having nightmares. So that was really, um, those are the things that have, that have ultimately led to me working up the courage to, to cut off an abuser. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, the next thing I want to know is you have mentioned how, you know, not only did your dad lie to you, but other people around the situation were lying as well. Did having so many people like this around you affect your ability to trust Christians or men? And how did it affect it? And then how were you able to kind of get some more true perspective on the issue? Absolutely. Um, abuse absolutely did um, damage and impede my ability to trust God and to trust others. Partly because, you know, there's the big eternal question of God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you letting this happen in my life? And so I had to wrestle with that. And I had to um, wrestle with God and confront God with that, that and, you know, just flat out tell God, look, I'm angry at you. I know that you know everything, so I hope it's okay for me to confide this, but I'm really upset. I'm angry at you. I feel betrayed, and I need you to know this. And you know, when I finally was able to confront God with my feelings, even though he already knew my feelings, because he knows everything, right? He made me. Um, when I was finally able to confide those things, he gave me peace. And, and I got an overwhelming sense that it was okay um, that he understood um, and, that, and that he is sovereign and that, and that I can trust him both with my, my feelings and really with my, my whole life. Um, the ways that it damaged my ability to trust have been ongoing. And, um, you know, it's gotten a lot better. Um, I do find it difficult to, um, to have close friends 
Obviously, I don't have uh, much difficult confiding in other people. I I'm just talking about this on a podcast, right? But, um, you know, it's one thing to talk about something that's happened in your past, and it's another thing to emotionally attach yourself to a person to really become invested in their lives. And currently, I think that would be the hardest thing that I struggle with is just getting close to people because I have a fear that I'm going to be abandoned or betrayed on some level. You know, whether that be, you know, someone just really turning out to be a, a bad person or just growing disinterested in me and kind of drifting slowly out of my life. You know, those are those are fears that I have. And I think a lot of that is rooted not only in um, my abuser, but also in people who saw the abuse and either covered it up or did nothing. And also people who maybe should have realized what was going on and didn't understand. And so there's, there's two levels to it. There's, there's the distrust that people are going to understand um, and sympathize and, um, and be proactive in helping you. But then there's also the fear that people are going to actually be negligent and actually um, enable abuse by by not standing up against it or not thinking that it's a big deal. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a minute as well because while I want this episode to be really helpful for someone who has struggled with um, or suffered from abuse in the past or maybe there's things going on right now currently, but I also wanna give some really good insight into those of us who haven't necessarily suffered from this level of abuse in the past, but still we are all involved at church or we know people in our life, we have neighbors, just in our families, there's so many potential opportunities for someone that we know could be at risk. So how do we just as normal average churchgoers um, pay attention and notice what's going on? Are there signs that we need to look out for? Are there things that we need to proactively do just to kind of help prevent this abuse from happening in the first place? And then if it is happening, to be able to recognize it and do something about it. Absolutely. Well, one thing I think that's... Um important to understand is that someone who is an abuser, they've been um, developing and honing and feeding this sin in their heart for many, many years. And if they are determined to do evil, you know, unless you're a mind reader, um, it's going to be really hard to predict. And, you know, there's no knowing when or where they're going to do it. So it's very hard to prevent your best bet, you know, as far as like a church or a school is to take commonplace precautions. You know, for example, when you're talking about nursery workers, make sure there's always two or more people in the room with a child. Um, that changing, you know, diaper changing areas, bathroom areas are, um, are visible to more than one person. So no one's ever alone with that child in a secluded area. There's, there's a lot of common sense, um, uh, precautions you can take in those realms. Um, but obviously, if somebody's, you know, if a parent has decided to abuse their child, it's really hard to anticipate that and it's really hard to stop it from happening. Um, and the best thing you can do is to be open to listen to that child um, when they come to you. And, you know, one of the things I would tell people is my dad has anger issues. And they didn't understand what that meant. You know, they thought, okay, 
Um, maybe her dad has a temper. Maybe he has road rage. These are not, you know, it's, it's sin, obviously, but it's not a crime. Um, so they didn't understand. And what I would just encourage people to do is, you know, when, when a child tells you something like that, ask questions. You know, well, what does that mean to you? What, what, what are anger issues? Um, what does your dad do exactly? You know, tell me specifically, um, you know, in, in the child's words, you know, and of course, a child's not going to come to you and say, um, I've been sexually abused. A, they don't know what abuse is. And B, they don't even know probably what sex is. So they don't have this vocabulary to talk to you. Um, so you really are going to have to listen carefully and read between the lines and discern what that child means. Um, it takes a lot of wisdom. And another thing I wanted to add on to what you just said, which is fantastic advice about asking more questions, um, but just wanted to interject as well, just having gone through, like when you volunteer at school or church and they have you go through all the trainings, another thing that's really important as well is to not ask leading questions or to not tell the child, the child did your dad do this or did your dad like, and put the words in their mouth. Um, just because there's psychological studies that have been done where if you introduce new thoughts, um, it can affect their memories, especially in small ch children. So making sure that you are asking open-ended questions, like you tell me what happened, not giving them a multiple choice of, did he do this? Did he do this? Um, just because legally and, and such too, that that can make a difference because it can affect, if it goes legally, um, that that can affect the trial as well. Absolutely. And, and you know, children um, too, like we said, they don't have the vocabulary. So they're going to repeat what you say. And so you have to kind of keep that in mind. And, you know, that goes part of this, the precautions I was mentioning earlier too, like, for example, you know, making sure that there's two people in a room with a child um, in a, maybe in a nursery setting or a changing, changing a diaper setting. Um, it, it protects the child, obviously, but it also cre creates accountability. So, you know, if the child does go home and say something strange that could be interpreted in a strange way, um, you know, a fellow nursery worker can say, oh, no, 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 I was there. This is what happened. Everything's fine. You know, so it protects the child, but it also protects innocent adults as well. Yeah, that's important too, especially in today's society where you want to believe the best in people and, you know, maybe it's someone you go to church with or your kids go to school together and you, you want to think of them as a friend and not saying to, you know, be suspicious to everybody. Cause Absolutely, yeah. You need that accountability and, um, and, and it just gives the parents peace of mind, really. Yeah. So I want to switch gears again back to your book because you wrote a book, Not Forsaken, a story of life after abuse, how faith brought one woman from victim to survivor. Can you tell us more about this book? Is it just your memoir, your story, or what all can we expect to find in this book? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually, I have a copy right here, um, Not Forsaken. And um, it is, the first chapter is, is memoir, so you'll have... <clears throat> Um, kind of snapshots, snapshots from my childhood. Um, part of the reason we put those in the first chapter is so that um, uh, to establish, I guess, my credibility so that you can understand like where I'm coming from, um, why I've written this book. 
but also so that um, abuse survivors who may be reading this, if they find it too stressful or too depressing, they can skip that entire chapter and they can go straight to chapter two and and get on with the book. Um, so that's twofold. Um, and the, but the whole, really the, I would say the, it's kind of self-help, kind of theology, um, kind of memoir. It's a blend of all these things. So basically what it does as, is it chronicles my recovery process. Um, it goes through um, learning to relate with Christ because, you know, Jesus suffered abuse. He was abandoned and he was betrayed and he was beaten and murdered. Um, so learning to relate with Jesus on that very deep and profound personal level, um, learning to understand what it means that God is our father in a good and healthy way, um, dealing with anger at God, um, coping with depression and anxiety um, from a biblical standpoint, um, and in a way that's safe and that that's going to lead us towards spiritual healing. Um, so it, it goes through all these different milestones that I experienced in my recovery process. And also during the, the writing and the editing process, I interviewed over, oh goodness, over a hundred survivors. Um, and I was able to kind of identify commonalities in our recovery processes and, and feature, um, challenges that are, that are common to many many victims and survivors and kind of prioritize those issues and um, hopefully give people a tool that they can use to um, to further their you know facilitate their own recovery yeah so I was just getting ready to ask you before you said that last bit but I'll ask you anyways um, is so the topic of abuse is not something that most people want to talk a lot about, especially if it's something you've gone through in the past. Most people don't want to put up a big sign and share that with the whole world. So what made you want to actually go through the whole book writing process to dive deep into these topics and turn it into a book that's now permanent and it's out there? Um, why? What made you want to take this journey? You know, I had been wanting to write a book for probably a decade, but I hadn't gotten to a level in my own recovery where I think I really understood even what had happened to me and where I could put it all into words. Um, and finally, about two years ago, I, you know, some, some different things happened in my personal life and some relationships resolved and I reached some various milestones in my healing and I was able to finally put to words um, how I felt and I wanted to um, I wanted to communicate it to my husband um, he's he's a wonderful godly man and he's he's very sympathetic but he's never been abused and there were certain stories and certain feelings that I had that, that I wanted to communicate, but I didn't feel confident sharing face to face. So I wanted to put those into words. And so the book actually started as a series of letters to my husband, just telling him what I was going through and explaining why I am the way that I am. And as I wrote them, I, re I went through a process of self-discovery. And I started to realize that not only was this helping me heal, but that possibly this could help other husbands 
or other survivors or even pastors, counselors, you know, different people who want to be involved in the lives of people who are suffering. And so I just really felt a calling um, to put to words what I was going through and, and analyze it and use the gospel as a foundation um, to, to point a path toward, toward spiritual recovery in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's awesome. And I really appreciate that you did that because this sounds like it's going to be such an amazing resource. So for anybody who is watching or listening to this podcast episode, if this sounds like a book that you are interested in, definitely go ahead and check the show notes. I'm going to link to her book and um, so you can go and check it out and learn more about this book and, you know, more, all the things that she's talking about. But before we go, I have two more questions. One is, are there any other resources that our listeners should know about as well for me to put in the show notes? Yeah, absolutely. My friend, um, Sarah Walton has a book called, uh, hope when it hurts. Um, it's not specifically about abuse, but it's about enduring seasons of hardship and sorrow, um, in light of the gospel. Um, David Murray uh, also has a large collection of wonderful resources dealing with um, depression, anxiety, and how to think about those from a healthy Christian perspective. You know, so often, um, you know, we hear that, oh, you just need to trust God a little more. You need to have stronger faith. You need to pray about it. But those are really unhelpful um, responses because, you know, like my husband said, he told me at one point, you're not depressed because there's anything wrong with you. And you're not depressed because you're sinning. You're depressed because you've had a depressing life. Depressing things have happened to you. You're anxious because anyone would be anxious after going through what you've gone through. And so, you know, there's, there's different kinds of depression and anxiety. Obviously, there's, there's um, those things as a chemical imbalance you know, or, or a mental disorder, emotional disorder, um, you know, and, and so in those cases, there's, there's a place where you might, you may need a medical intervention. And I've been there, you know, I've had postpartum depression, um, God made medicine and God gave us doctors and I'm very thankful. Um, and there's also, you know, a legitimate time to weep, you know, Jesus wept when Lazarus died and Jesus wept in the garden of Gethsemane and he was so anxious that he sweated blood so there is great freedom in knowing that godly men of the Bible and the Son of God himself um, suffered and, and wept and, and worried and were afraid. Um, so I, you know, just be encouraged that you are absolutely not alone and you are not forsaken. All right, the last question I have for you today before I let you go. Is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners today, whether that's somebody who has suffered from abuse in the past or for the friends and family members of those who have or even for the church community as a whole? Do you have some sort of message or something that you always say that you wish you could just get out to the world? You know, if I could go back... 10, 15, 20 years to my younger self, um, I think what I would tell myself is God's going to get you through this. And God is faithful even when we are not. You know, you may feel like you're losing your grip on your faith. You may feel like you're losing your grip on your sanity. 
You may not want to be alive anymore, but it's not about um, your grip on your faith uh, or, or on your sanity. It's about God's grasp on your soul. And God absolutely is faithful and he is all powerful and he is good. And I would just encourage you to hold on and, and confide in the Lord and as far as to, um, you know, friends and churches and loved ones of abuse victims and survivors, I would just say thank you so much for being involved in, in their life. God has given you a tremendous, um, sorry, hard, <laughs> a tremendous opportunity um, to help people. And, you know, Jesus gives us the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan finds a man who has been abused. He's been beaten up and robbed and left in the dirt at the side of the road. And as far as we're told, he, he doesn't give any profound advice. He doesn't have all the right words. But he picks that, that man up and he takes him to someone who can help him. And, you know, you may not always feel like you have all the right words. and you may not feel like you can fix the whole situation. Honestly, nobody but God can. So it's okay. You're just one person. You are one church. You have limited capacity. You can only do what God enables you to do, right? And with the opportunities he gives you. So, you know, look at it as an opportunity. Don't feel pressured to in-house it or DIY it. Do your best, be, be prayerful, and be encouraged that God put you in this situation, and he loves you, and he is faithful, and he will give you the right words um, at the right time. Well, thank you, Jennifer, so much for agreeing to be on this podcast today to share your experience with us. You've been so vulnerable and honest and helpful, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak and, and thank you so much. All right. So that just about does it for today's episode. If you've enjoyed listening to Jennifer throughout this episode and would love to hear more from her, either about her story or about more helpful tips and tricks for you, how you can overcome the abuse you've dealt with in your past or help out friends and family who may have gone through similar situations in their own life, I would really encourage you to go check out her brand new book that just came out recently. It is called Not Forsaken, A Story of Life After Abuse, How Faith Brought One Woman from Victim to Survivor. I'll have a link for it in the show notes below, so definitely check those out as well as the other resources that I'll link there as well. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to listen to even more, we come back regularly to share all kinds of different perspectives, advice, strategies, tips, and tricks on how to be that amazing godly woman God is calling you to be. So if you have not subscribed to this channel yet, make sure you do that right now and we will talk to you again real soon. All right. Bye.